0: On this episode of Serverless Chats, I speak with Jillian Armstrong and Mark McCann about how Liberty Mutual is embracing serverless. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 15. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly, and you're listening to Serverless Chats. This week, I'm chatting with Jillian Armstrong and Mark McCann. Hi, Jillian and Mark. Thanks for being here.
1: Hi, thanks for having us.
0: Yeah. Hello. So both of you um, work on the team at Liberty Information Technology, which is a part of uh, Liberty Mutual Group. So Liberty Mutual, if people don't know, 100-year-old insurance company, one of the largest here in the US. Um, you have, what, 30 countries you work with, 50,000 employees, something crazy like that. So let's start with Jillian. Um, You're a solutions architect there. Why don't you give us your background a little bit more about what you do?
1: Sure. So I have worked across a lot of the areas in Liberty, um, including our emerging tech space, where um, I was first able to work on some completely serverless-first projects. Um, This year, I've been working with the teams in our digital e-commerce space in Boston, um, looking at serverless, looking at AI. And I've just moved to our data and analytics unit. Um, I definitely have a big focus on driving the serverless mindset in the company and also trying to get involved in the serverless community as well. Um, And I'm also looking at AI sort of from an engineering and serverless perspective. So how far can we get using the managed services? How do we bring it into a large enterprise systems? Because as you said, uh, Liberty Mutual is a huge company.
0: (laughs) Great. All right, Mark, what about you? You're an architect there. Why don't you tell us about yourself?
2: Yeah, I'm an architect at Liberty, and similar to Gillian, I've worked across multiple different teams and areas uh, in my 19 years um, working here with, with Liberty. So everything from sort of C++, mainframe development, the introduction to JavaScript, the introduction of, to Java and Spring, and moving into sort of the SOA adoption cycle. And then now, uh, more recently, moving into microservices, all the good DevOps practices, and Ultimately, where we're where we're heading now with this big push to the cloud and, and serverless adoption. So, you know, I've been through the, the entire journey from you know uh, mainframe to
0: serverless.
1: Yeah. So Mark Great. and I work in very different areas, but um, we try to be really collaborative across the company and sort of some of these bigger things like serverless.
0: Well, Mark, it's good to be talking to another uh, developer old timer like myself. Yeah. So <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Um, all right. So let's let's start because again, Liberty Mutual is huge, and you are actually part of Liberty Information Technology. So these are separate companies. Um, and, and, I, and I'm i fascinated by how large organizations work and, and how all things are distributed and stuff like that. So maybe one of you can explain to me and to the listeners, what, what's the relationship between Liberty Information Technology and Liberty Mutual?
1: Yep. So we did say Liberty Mutual had about 50,000 employees. About 4,000 of those are in IT. Um, and the company we work for, Liberty uh, IT, is a wholly owned subsidiary of Liberty Mutual and we have about 600 software engineers based um, between Belfast in Northern Ireland and Dublin in Ireland Um, and they are all fully focused on delivering world-class software and solutions for Liberty Mutual.
2: Yeah, so we're very much a a software house um, focused on high-performance engineering and really delivering those world-class solutions that that Gillian mentioned. So we're we're slightly different from the rest of the Liberty Mutual sort of area where they may have a mixture of developers and business. We're very focused on
0: uh, software engineering. Awesome. All right, so that that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. All right, so I want to talk to you today because you both mentioned a lot about Serverless. Um, Liberty Mutual is obviously embracing Serverless. So let's let's talk about that. How how is or how Liberty Mutual is embracing Serverless? Um, and maybe let's start just by you know sort of how did the team kind of discover Serverless? Like what was what was the the uh, uh, you know what was the 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 point where you said hey let's start looking into this new technology. Yeah, and I
2: think um, that all sort of goes back to around 2014, where we started our public cloud journey, I guess. Um, so they formed the the public cloud team, and they started, you know, opening up the access to AWS and and, and seeing how how uh, how this whole new cloud thing would work within the big enterprise. Um, so a lot of that just start in 2014 into 2015 was really just you know, dipping our toes in the water and exploring those cloud capabilities. And yeah. then you know, we, we had very little, very little workload in there. Uh, coming into 2015, you know, starting to get the initial learning, starting to set up the pathways to 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 the cloud, trying to build in those those capabilities that a big enterprise like ours needs. Uh, so real focus on security, real focus on, you know, how the development teams actually get access to this stuff. You know, what are good practices? And again, working with AWS to, and partnering with them to figure out what that looks like. So our public cloud team did a really great job in starting to explore the space and open up for, for the for the enterprise you know this this new awesome capability that's the cloud and then into 2015 or 2016 we we're into the like you know starting to really think about what what apps we can um migrate to the cloud what modernization can we do what um what sort of uh, approaches could we take so that we can break down our big monolithic applications and bring them into things that will actually fit in the cloud and then all the way through to 2016, we had maybe 2.5% of our workloads in the cloud. Twenty we're into 12.5%, and then 2018, we're 20-odd 20, 20 percent. And now we're up to about 30% of our workloads plus in, in, the, in the cloud. And all, all through that time, it's been around uh, developing the capabilities, developing the expertise, uh, partnering with AWS and, and really learning what, you know. The cloud capabilities are there. Now a lot of this was traditional you know, EC2 RDS type work, you know, moving the workloads into that. And then we get into containers, we're gonna do the whole DevOps practices. And now ultimately we're we're starting to really get after you know, servers.
0: Okay, awesome. Um, all right. So then let's let's talk about just your strategy for adoption, right? And we can we can probably go a little bit deeper into the timeline um, as we get as we get further into the conversation, but let's talk about the um, the, the strategy. What was what was your strategy for adoption?
2: Yeah, so um, our strategy really at the minute is to create an environment for server to, to succeed. So we mentioned around the work that our, our our public cloud teams have done, and that's you know really been about building those CI/CD pipelines, building up the developer access, making sure that as a new developer joining a team, there's nothing blocking me from experimenting with the cloud, delivering some um, innovative solutions in the like a sandbox environment, and then ultimately promoting that through all the the different stages to production. So a lot of the the, the work has been done by by the people who have come before us, Jillian Armstrong, Jillian McCann in particular have really helped accelerate a lot of the the public cloud capabilities that we have. Um, And a lot of that is is now in place. So what we've been trying to do now is evangelize what a serverless-first approach looks like, educating our leaders, educating our developers so that whenever they are Looking at any potential sort of problem that a user may have or a customer has, they are trying to adopt that serverless first approach, seeing if a serverless approach works for that particular problem, and seeing where the uh, where it's where it's a good fit.
0: And is that something? So is that something now? Where um, you know you said the serverless first sort of thing. So everything you build now, you just do serverless? Not necessarily, but it's it's we yes. want them <laughs> as much as we as
2: much as we would like to say yes. Yeah. Um, We want them to have a serverless first mindset and a serverless first approach but we know that it's not a good fit for all contexts just yet so we have a number of fallback options uh, on that serverless spectrum that we want our teams to um to fall back to but ultimately we want them to at least try to see if the serverless first approach works does it work in full on lambdas with managed services is that a good fit does it give you the solution you need if it doesn't then this fall back onto some sort of containerized solution potentially, or maybe some uh, uh, past solution. And ultimately, if you fall back far enough, you might end up back on-prem. But um, we hope that uh, you're really trying to aim for that uh, full-on serverless experience.
0: (laughs) Well, it sounds like like Jillian uh, doesn't agree with you uh, 100%. So maybe (laughs) Jillian, we can get your your take on
1: this. (laughs) I I think we find that anything we build fully greenfield, uh, we really have been able to go completely serverless. Uh, even with um, huge uh, enterprise systems. Um, I know we'll talk more about that. Uh, I think people... Um, feel like serverless is just a little thing. It's great for playing about with small applications, but we've really been able to prove that we can build very sophisticated enterprise systems. Yep. Um, the challenges do come when you are uh, dealing with legacy applications. when you're a hundred year old company, you do tend to have a lot of stuff left about from from back in the day. Yeah. you know <laughs> I, I remember when you, if you needed a server, you someone maybe had to drive it on a truck to the data center and you had to wait wait until that happened.
0: <laughs> so those are the days. <laughs> yeah um but uh so what I about from, from us oh, sorry go ahead
2: no it's it's really do because we're evangelizing this this service first approach there are some challenges to that uh way of delivering solutions. So we're trying as a a strategy to identify what those challenges are ahead of time, trying to make sure that the the, the managed services that we want our teams to adopt are actually available to them. They have been through our security assessments. They have been added to our our allow list of of, services that we can use. So if you want to use something like AppSync, it's been pre-approved. It's been enabled in our accounts. It's available for the development teams all the way to production. you know not only are we pushing that teams you know adopt this serverless search approach, we really want to make sure that the serverless capabilities we would like them to use are actually available to them. And um, so we've been working very closely with our you know like our public cloud team or DevOps teams, but also security, legal, privacy teams to make sure that you know the, the, the services we are you know uh, asking our teams to at least evaluate are actually you know, secure. Cost optimized, you know, the, the any sort of legal or privacy concerns have been sort of mitigated. So we've been we've been trying to put a lot of those things in place to make sure that you know it's not just your architects telling you go serverless first and then not um, enabling any of the teams to actually do it. We're trying to make sure that those um, those blockers have been removed on that pathway <laughs> to serverless.
0: The labyrinth that is the uh, giant enterprise, right? Um, so, so how how did you how did you get going with with serverless? I, I know you talked a lot about the cloud. You, know, you have a cloud team and things like that. But is this something where it was sort of like a ground up approach, where the developers were bringing it in, or is this something that came down from the top?
1: Yeah. So we do have a cloud team, but they. They manage our cloud accounts, they, as Mark said, there's a lot of enablement needs to be put in place to make sure that as developers move from on-prem to the public cloud, um, that we're given good governance and uh, we're not going in and opening all the ports to the whole world. Um, So they very much um, put those structures in place, Um, but then it was the teams that came along and actually built applications that started to prove out that it really could be used. Um, So I was on one of those teams with Mark's wife, can actually. Um, and and we built out an employee digital assistant. Um, and it was something that definitely brought a lot of learnings. Where were the problems with security? Where were the problems with how do you observe? How do you how do we audit what's going on? Um, and then really from that um, and from some other projects that were going on, we were able to start to really learn about can we use this in-house? what are the blockers? What are the barriers? Um, and go back to the public cloud team and, and get them to support us, get them to help us um, start building out uh, CI CD pipelines. I know Mark's been doing a lot with developer enablements and uh, helping, helping other developers and everybody doesn't have to solve the same problem over and over again because serverless is supposed to make it easier. Supposed to. Supposed to, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um so what about what about
0: leadership right because especially in a, a multi-tiered organization um you know where where does where does the influence come is it is it are you working with the leadership to try to get them yeah. to kind of integrate that into their vision or or what's happening there
2: Yeah, absolutely and you know, part of part of the job is to Articulate the benefits of serverless and you know, the serverless advantages that, that come with that. And, and talking to our leaders, talking to our you know, senior senior leaders and, and making sure that you know, they understand the, the the value proposition of, of a serverless approach. You know, it really is the, the, the ultimate cloud capability that we want to pursue. You know, we want to focus our you know, developer efforts on delivering business value. So really trying to articulate. That, you know, we don't want to do all this undifferentiated heavy lifting. We want to focus on really solving real customers' problems. Um, and because we are a big insurance company, that means real people are, are ultimately the the users of our of our our, our software capability. So we're we're very acutely aware that we don't want to you know, waste time, money, or, or effort on stuff that actually doesn't have a, an impact to your, our customers. You know, ultimately, that's, that's our that's our mission here. You know, as an insurance company, is to really actually help people. Yeah, so,
1: and it, uh, it, it's been great because we you know our CIOs have publicly stood up and told the company that this is um, an approach that they recommend. This is the go forward. Um, so it is great to see the message coming down from the top as well as coming from the grassroots yep. and the developers as well.
2: Yeah, and and, and recently, Joe, with with the, with our the senior leaders in some of the spaces, Joe. Jill... Uh, adopting a serverless first approach is now you know, in some of their their okrs and some of the, the objectives that we are ruling out across through the thousands of developers that we have in some of our divisions so it's now a stated objective of of our of our teams that you know, we need to evolve to to meet this serverless challenge
0: that's awesome all right so now that you mentioned AppSync as one of the things you kind of approve so you, you must be using a lot of managed services though right
2: Yeah absolutely so across the across the board you know, we're using pretty much everything so depending on <laughs> uh, on the team and and the and the problem at hand you know we have everything from you know, the typical lambda DynamoDB, to you know, uh, the kinesis stuff so,
1: API gateway it,
2: yeah
1: and SQSS. Um, <laughs>
2: AppSync is more recently as we're starting to get into more of the sort of GraphQL and sort of evolving from your full-on RESTful services to much more um, GraphQL-type services. Um, Yeah, we're in CloudFront, everything really. So we have we have we have access to the full portfolio of serverless capabilities, pretty much across the board. There are some enterprise. decisions that were made that, that have, you know, so like Route 53, for example, we, we, we don't have access to, we have our own DNS solution. So that and that, that becomes some of the challenges we have when we, when we start evangelizing serverless. You know, the developers go out on the, you know, the AWS or they go on to some of these, you know, talks to people like yourself or some of the patterns that are out there uh, and they see these these solutions and they try to bring them in-house. So and maybe they don't work quite the way that um, you would expect because some of the some of the capabilities aren't allowed for us for for good reasons, and um, so we need to work. And that's something we're, we're we're working on a lot is to take those patterns and make them work for our ecosystem and our context. So you know, instead of you know, this DNS provider, we're using this, and you know, we update the, the pattern, or update the templates, or update the 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 cloud formation to to work within the ecosystem that we have. So a lot of that's around you know, identifying those those blockers and barriers and making sure that you know, we've got a solution in place for them. Mm-hmm.
0: So I okay. I don't know if this is true, but my understanding is that if you're a technology company in the UK, you have to use Wardley mapping now. Is that true with you guys as well? hundred uh, um,
2: percent. We we use it a lot for our strategy, and most recently I've been using it uh, to to talk to to my the my teams that I'm sort of responsible for to really understand what the team purpose is, what they're, what they're, who the users are, what they're delivering to those users, but also to get a real understanding of their tech stack. And I'm using the worldly mapping to uh, see how they could evolve their tech stacks to meet this serverless goals that we have as a company. So it, it really helps you know, um, helps me to talk to the teams. It helps me to actually you know, show the teams that this is where we're heading. And it also gives us fast feedback on any sort of uh, blockers that they may have to, to uh, so serverless adoption.
0: Awesome. All right. So let's, uh, let's go back to the timeline. So you mentioned 2014 public cloud, um, you know, somewhere around, I think you said 2016, you started breaking down some of the monoliths. So maybe we start after that, after you broke down the monoliths and you started moving into actually bringing things to the cloud. Let's, let's start there.
2: Yeah. So I like think we you know, we started the digital assistant work sort of kicked off around 2016 as well. The work that Jillian and uh, Jillian McCann were, were doing. Um, we had a lot of the security teams were starting to build out serverless capabilities there as well. Um, some of the auto remediation stuff, and, and we can talk about this because it's, they've, they've talked publicly at re: and other and other areas about some of these these capabilities. But they, they built out a lot of really awesome um, security capabilities in the serverless way sort of provides guardrails for the development teams and, and makes it so that we can't do things that are against our company policy. But it frees us up to go off and try and experiment with stuff. It'll give you nice feedback on, you know, here, don't open these ports, or you can't use you know, this particular capability, or you know, everything has to be encrypted at rest, encrypted in transit. So again, part of that developer enablement is you know, enabling them, but putting you know, guardrails around some of the things so that we're not exposing the, ourselves to risk.
0: So you started, you started a lot, a lot of the serverless stuff you were doing originally was internal, like sort of compliance, that sort of stuff, right?
1: Yeah. So some of the, some of the first things were utilities, um, for. For the public cloud team themselves, they were definitely the experts at the time, um, and then we really moved from that to other internal systems. So we do a lot of employee-focused software, and when we build internally for ourselves, we do have the opportunity to use a lot more emerging technologies to take a little bit more risk, um, experiment on our employees for employees. <laughs> yeah. uh, so so we were able to so we have an internal productivity tool um, that we're actually selling externally now to to other customers. Um, oh, wow. We called it my Hub. <laughs> And uh, we built um, on top of that, we built a digital assistant. It was a chatbot. Um, and we built it fully serverless. Um, and alongside that we had a few other small tools internally were being built out. And that let us work with those security teams, let us work with the public cloud team, let us expose yeah. where we were we were having issues, um, let us like negotiate Uh, so it's you know we have to go forward this is the future so so how do we do this not you know we sit down with the legal team and security team it's not can we do this it's like we. We have to get to the cloud. We have to be able to use these tools. Yep. This is the future. So, so let's work together to work out how we can do it. Um, and alongside that, working out patterns, um, working out sort of best practices, if there is such a thing as a best practice. Mm, exactly. um, so, <laughs> so creating uh, creating resources for other people. Here's the CI CD pipeline for how you can deploy this. Here's a, uh, a custom resource you can use yourself. Yeah. Um, and then as we moved on and hit the customer facing applications, they were able to move really really quickly that a lot of the buyers had been removed for them
0: yeah so before you did that though in terms of the actual like customer facing workloads were you i think you mentioned something about containers were you still sort of going down the container route initially
2: yeah absolutely and i think 20 you know, 20- 2015, 2016, into 2017, very much still moving down that, you know, move to microservices. So we did a lot of work um, and talking to the teams um, and doing things like event storming to really break down the monoliths into more bounded context and into, into sort of microservices, uh, but building out the, the the containerized solutions, whether it's in uh, Pivotal Cloud Foundry or Docker data center. So we had you know these you know, cloud ready, cloud native sort of containerized environments. Uh, so we were doing a lot of work there to break down the monoliths and the microservices and moving them on the containers and then getting them out onto the cloud. So a lot of the, the work we did around you know, 2016, 2017 was really around sort of moving that, that stuff into those sort of workloads, as well as also the, the work that Gillian you know, and others were doing around you know, the serverless stuff. So a large bulk of the work was really moving that, to, the, to that containerized world. And that gave us a huge amount of advantages and really accelerated a lot of our cloud adoption and, and accelerated our time to market. And like Gillian mentioned, we, we we were doing a lot of education and building a lot of patterns and building a lot of the the, the good practices around you know, what what does an event-driven architecture look like? What are microservices look like? How, what does that mean for our teams? What ways do we uh, educate our teams? How do we train our teams? How do we help guide them on some of this, this stuff? And then then, ultimately, we've 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 had a lot of success with that and that's helped really push a lot of our workload onto the cloud. Now we're into the the next phase of of evolution. How can we then move on to to the serverless first approach? Um, Now containers will still play a large part of our our, our future, I think, for for a while, but ultimately we want to evolve and and move everything to to that serverless ecosystem for all all the advantages that serverless brings.
1: I, I managed to somehow miss containers and skip past them. <laughs> oh, you're <laughs> the lucky gonna one. Someone's going to drag me back. Um, I think it is interesting. So, as Mark said, obviously we have a lot of applications. We couldn't get out quickly to the cloud if we if we didn't use containers. Um, so, in that way, it is a step between you know going cloud native, going serverless. Um, but realistically, you know, containers does not get you closer to serverless. It just gets you onto the cloud. So I always say to teams, look, if you've not gone to containers yet, see if you can just skip past them. Don't spend the time putting on containers if it is possible to go to serverless.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the the problem the problem that you know I always see is that you can't lift and shift to serverless. It has to be yeah. a rewrite, and yep. there's just a lot of teams don't have that time to do that. So I have nothing against containers. I think containers are great, especially when you're breaking things into microservices. But I totally agree. If you can skip them and go right to serverless, that is that is my preferred approach as well.
2: Yeah, hundred percent agree. I think it's having those fallback options as well is, is, is good and, and making sure that people know right. the, 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 the problem they're trying to solve and the context that they're within. And and that's the whole that's the whole rationale behind the serverless first sort of mindset we're trying to push is try to do this in a serverless first way. And we think it will solve it'll be it'll be suitable for a lot of the problems we're trying to solve. But if it's not a good fit we have plenty of other options.
0: Um. And so, where? How much of your workload is in the cloud now? So I think
2: we're we're doing from 2017 to probably 12.5%. 2018 we about 28%. I think now we're probably high 38%. But that's always increasing. Um. So a lot of you know, um, there's a lot of acceleration there into the into the the cloud. So, um. Yeah, we're we're really starting to accelerate that that move and uh, moving moving everything into 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 the uh, the cloud properly.
1: Yeah, there's there's tens of thousands of servers, you know, sitting in our internal data center. So it's um, it's amazing that we've already got to almost forty yes. percent. Um, hopefully, we're going to keep going, keep accelerating. But yeah. I know that some of yeah. the last ones in there will be uh, there'll be dragons in there. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. yes. But I think anything, anything, anything that new, we we we're trying to make it so that they build uh, serverless first, and that all the all the pathways and the the blockers for serverless adoption have been removed.
0: I can imagine. I can imagine with an enterprise uh, like Liberty Mutual, you probably still have some servers that are actually writing onto stone in order to save information. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So I've talked to a couple of development teams and a few development team leaders. Um, you know, relatively small teams, maybe five to ten developers uh, that are trying to get their teams to move to serverless. Um, you have six hundred developers, you said, that work for Liberty IT. So how, let's talk about how you. Get the word out, right? How do you train people? How you evangelize serverless internally? How you enable those developers? Let's let's kind of start there. What's the what do you guys do to to get the word out?
1: Yeah. So the first thing, um, so I always say, not everybody's a cloud developer yet. Um, but so the very first thing we needed to do was really educate people about the cloud and the benefits of the cloud. You can't get to serverless if you if you don't know how to build on the cloud. Um, so there has been for several years now, um, a lot of um, support put in place to let people learn about the cloud, to get their certifications, to get time to do that. Um, And as we came a couple of years ago to start thinking about serverless, um, initially, internally, we were trying to share and um, we have internal systems where you can blog, and we have internal tech talks. Um, so we spent a lot of time talking about what we were doing around different groups, but ultimately the big tipping point came um, when myself and Gillian McCann um, got a spot at reInvent. And went and talked about uh, the solution we were building um, because sometimes being able to go externally and showing that your expertise is on par with other people in industry um, is actually a really great way to get people internally uh, to listen to what you're doing to pay attention to actually find out um, about what's happening Um, since then we have had a lot of people out at serverless day serverless comp qcon um, and Sometimes that's actually more effective because people will go and listen to the recorded talk, Um, then they'll maybe come and talk to you internally. Um we've also been doing a lot of things where we get um, AWS Google to come in and run workshops or give talks, which um gets people away from their desk for a day doing something um, and then also we're getting teams to do informal hackathons, engineering days, um, letting them you know try things out, um, which really sort of leads into that you know developer enablement because that's part of you know enabling them
2: yeah. And and even on top of that, we've had like cloud native open spaces where we get the whole company together just to talk in a very open way about you know, cloud adoption and the challenges and the, the successes that teams have had, and just really get developers to talk to each other because you know, we're a large company, so lots of people have had good experience or challenges with certain things, and just getting developers to talk to one another has been uh, a, a great empower for you know this 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 adoption that we're we're trying to get there. Um, so it's it's. It's it's really been you we know, we we we're a very collaborative, engaging sort of company, and that's been our culture. So we we really want you know our our engineers to to share that and really try to you know, help each other.
0: So how how do you how do you sort of uh, you mentioned things like repeatable patterns and and uh, different different models that that people can use. So how do you share those? Do you just have like a sort of an internal uh, internal wikis and things like that? That that that's where that stuff goes.
2: Yeah, uh, we've we've had a number of big initiatives around um, you know, enabling you know, these cloud native approaches. So within the the GRM, which is you know, the, the customer facing jewel insurance area, we've had a, a, a DNA, which is a digitally native architecture approach. So we built a team that took all these patterns and make, made them sort of code executable for developers. So they could go to a dashboard and uh, click a few buttons and they would have a, a fully cloud native solution deployed uh, with, with CSED pipelines, with all the security checks and balances, with all the quality baked in. And that would you know enable you to you know, deliver a new sort of cloud native API all the way to production in minutes. Um, similarly, in, 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 in the, the GRS area I am in now, we're doing the exact same thing, but with the serverless first pattern. So we're, we're baking the, the patterns into you know, templates that are then executable by developers, and really sort of make sure that all of our good practices and security standards and quality are are baked into those patterns. So, within a you know with with a few clicks of a button, the developers have a you know a full on you know, serverless solution um, with a with a pathway to production, all automated and ready to go. So, that's how we're trying to sort of capture all the the good stuff that you know Gillian Gillian McCann you know, others within the company have. Have done. We want to bake those 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 good practices into these uh, repeatable templates that are really executable, and that's why there's something like the you know, CDK coming out has really just um, piqued our interest. We want us to try to mm-hmm. capture some of our infrastructure good practices and make them you know, CDK constructs, so that again we can accelerate that. Um, that developer um, enablement, so that these these well-proved, hardened, secured, compliant capabilities are available to all our development teams.
1: So we, we have uh, we have an inner source as well, sort of like open source, but internally, um, we have repositories where people can share things. Um, Gitbooks are always. Yep a big fan of people there's slack channels where people share um different links to different things either externally or internally about
2: serverless yeah Yeah. but it's ultimately it's that serverless first approach we want to remove any undifferentiated heavy lifting so we want to package up and and automate as much as possible so that if a developer needs a a full-on serverless stack they shouldn't have to go and craft it themselves there should be uh, good stuff available to them to accelerate so that they can really focus on business value.
0: So what about giving people time to sort of experiment? Because I even whenever I come across a new um, a new service or service that I might have been using, but now I I want to do something, codify it with cloud formation and and automate some of the processes and things like that. I mean that just takes time. I could spend an entire day just you know yep. messing around with the cloud formation template sometimes. So do you give teams the ability to do you know sort of experimentation on their own? Absolutely.
2: Um, so because we are a software engineering um, sort of company within LIT and we have a culture of engineering excellence, we, we need to give teams capacity to learn, to explore, to, to to play with some of these new capabilities. So a lot of our teams have innovation time, dedicated innovation time that allows them to you know, explore and experiment with some of this stuff and, and doesn't even necessarily need to be aligned to a business to goal. It can we be just to you know, explore this new technology because it looks cool. But we 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 have encouraged all of our teams to have you know, 20% time pretty much at least um, to to explore new capabilities and learn and, and and read and 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 do the right thing uh, for for their teams so yeah with with the pace of change and the pace of you know, new capabilities coming out if we don't have that capacity for teams to explore new technology you, you'll quickly get left behind
1: Yeah, and I think we also we try to educate um, product owners and and other groups outside of IT that when they're bringing in new technologies, they're actually using for features on their project that that may take a little bit longer, but ultimately, you know, they will go faster. Um, And rather than just demanding that they keep accruing tech debt by keep, you know, repeating everything that's ever been done, um, but they let them, you know, have a little bit of time to bring in new things
0: yep and is that something i mean i can imagine if you've got 600 people or you know however many people are working on different serverless projects um they've got to be discovering new things better ways to do it so even if you've codified a a pattern or whatever and they say you know what i found a better way to do that sounds like very grassroots like it just kind of works its way back up through the system yeah yeah pretty much and you know we have a lot
2: of vehicles for people to share, there's internal sort of wikis, there's internal sort of uh, collaboration through sort of, platforms that we have. There's um, pretty much all the teams, we'd have some sort of tech talks or sort of regular sort of scheduled sort of uh, show and tell type time so that they really, you know, if one team has found a, a new way to do something or you know, to so say a new capability has been really spread but yes, so on demand for you know, Dynamo, the whole um, you know, on-demand sort of capabilities within you know, to, to really reduce the cost of your know, Dynamo instances. if. You know, if a team's already turned it on and figured out how the how the cloud formation gets updated, to to, to enable that, you know, they may talk to another team, you know, the other side of the building, and say, hey, hey we did this cool thing, and see if there's you know hundreds of dollars a day, uh, you might want to do that. So, we 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 we've, we've we've a very collaborative. Culture within within LET, and so so if if somebody's doing something cool, we, we very quickly hear about it.
1: The very <laughs> um the, the absolute joy of a serverless architecture is that it's evolving. Is that it isn't this big upfront design where an architect goes and creates a massive big architecture diagram and it prints it out and puts it on the wall and that's it for the rest of time? Um, because it is evolving. Because it is easy to take pieces in and out and change them. Um, that lets your team, you know, contribute to the architect it lets individuals maybe have a bit more expertise and come along and say well we should yeah. change this if new patterns are emerging you can go back and update the architecture um, with a lot less overhead than it would have in the past maybe not with none but um, but certainly <laughs> the joy is that it is a much more flexible and changeable way of building something um, and we definitely in the serverless world um in the serverless community there are Uh, definitely debates about the best way to do things and I think people are coming up with new and better ways, as new tools are coming out, as new functionality is coming out. And I know I've been to a lot of conferences and listened to a talk and it's just completely blown my mind. And I've gone, oh, I've just been doing this thing completely wrong. Um, So I think it's pretty exciting. Um, One of the joys of working in any emerging technology is you don't have to worry so much about decisions because you definitely have made the wrong decision and you just have to accept that you're just gonna have to keep changing and evolving.
0: Well, I always find too where it's something like uh, you build something really cool, you find a great workaround to do something, and then like two months later, Amazon releases a, a way yes. to do it in one line of code, <laughs> which I, which is great. I mean, I think that's I think that's actually one of the great things about just where we are in serverless and the serverless space right now is as we start to find use cases and people actually start to use it. That's when you start butting up against those limitations and AWS and, and Azure and Google, they're all working to get rid of those, which I mean, again, it's just, it's amazing.
1: I I honestly think that they like lie in wait and and we'll we'll wait and wait and be like maybe a feature will come out and then we'll spend you know four or five weeks building it ourselves because we'll wait too long and then the day you like check in it's done you'll like wake up the next morning you'll look at Twitter and there'll be a blog post dropped saying hey that feature's there and you'll say no.
2: (laughs) And and again I think this this, our teams are well aware that Any sort of custom sort of workarounds that they're building, you know, they they may have to evolve to use whatever the the, the managed service delivers because, you know, it's a... Just be preferred to throw this stuff away because you know sooner or later somebody will bake it into the the right. ecosystem you're you're working within, and then uh, you know that that custom built thing you need is is no longer relevant.
0: <laughs> Still <laughs> worth it though. Still worth it building those things. Yeah, um, all right. So let's. Uh, you you mentioned a couple internal tools and stuff like that, but you you guys have built a ton with serverless. So let's talk about some of the success stories. I think that'll be interesting to people, um, you know, especially in a large organization. So why don't we start going with some of those internal tools again, like uh, the digital, the employee digital assistant, what's, what's that about?
1: Yeah. So the employee digital assistant, it's a, a chatbot. Very excitingly. And this is, uh, this is a little bit where I get to dabble in AI, uh, in applied AI, AI, and that sort of serverless mindset where we pick up those managed services. Um, and it was really based um, around making things easier for employees. So nobody wants to spend all their time searching for things on SharePoint or or emailing someone for an answer who doesn't get back to you for a week. Um, so what we did is we hooked up a whole pile of internal functions. We hooked up our internal help desk, finance, um, HR, and got them to put a lot of different things. So you just go and ask the ask the chatbot, whatever you want. You know, so there's, something's gone wrong with my pay slip this month. What do I do? Or uh, everybody's favorite one, what's on the cafe menu today? <laughs> which was the top search on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so because we we're building it completely from scratch it was this amazing opportunity to build it completely serverless to try things out um, and we were able to experiment a lot and one of the most exciting things is from that uh, we now have a whole spin-off company called WorkGrids that is a startup that has Span out from Liberty Mutual that has taken that, rebuilt it as a SaaS solution and is now selling it to other companies.
0: Awesome, and and you also have something called Radar. That's your cloud adoption one.
2: Yeah, so the the and we can talk about this because they've talked about it at ReInvent, so it's cool. Um, <laughs> they it's it's our our public cloud team created the the security auto remediation. Uh, Capability tool that really helps you know, prevent sort of any sort of bad behavior by us rogue developers, uh, creating your know, um, resources or playing in the cloud and doing stuff that we that we shouldn't be doing. So, it has a number of your know, uh, security policies as code um, that will you know, prevent us from you know, creating. You know, Resources with open ports to the world, or they're you know, not not encrypting at rest, or not encrypting it in transit, um, and it gives you nice nice reports, and you know, it gives you feedback, you know, of, you know, where you're going wrong, you know, where 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 you're not following company policy, um, but it also auto remediates as well, so it's you know, it's triggered off you know, uh, cloud events, and and will will actually rectify and, and stop you in some cases, but it's really it's a it's an awesome enabling constraint because it means that our good enterprise practices are are, are baked in to to an automated Policy, uh, so that that the uh, security policy as code really helps keep us on the on the straight and narrow, and so 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 I think it really it, it's not it's not a the the, the old school security you know, department of no, it's really uh, it enables us to go faster, um, but go faster with with good practice and, and good security
1: yeah I guarantee to you every single developer in here who has the very first time they started to build something out has find has found their resources disappeared because they didn't tag them properly
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well that's good though um all right so what what else any other uh, interesting internal projects
2: yeah so there there there's a there's a lot of good work in our our sort of financial central services space where you know, we're 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 Processing hundreds of thousands of records, you know, a minute in the, in serverless, um, and that's all you know, step functions, lambda, sort of SNS, SQS, Kinesis, um, DynamoDB, but that's huge volumes. You know, that's that's really starting to stretch to you know, serverless um, and and the the managed service capabilities, and uh, so. That's that's ongoing at the minute, but it's it's a it's a massive sort of success, um, and we've had Fasina Donaghy talking about it at Serverless Days in Dublin around some of the some of the the, the cool stuff that that that's going on there. So it it really do you know, Serverless is not just for you know, simple APIs and simple sort of you know utility type libraries. This is for the core sort of uh, financial processing engine of, of the company. So it's 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 almost like shows you know that Serverless is ready for for pretty much every every uh, problem you can throw at it. That's
0: amazing. All right, so what about customer-facing stuff? Have you put anything out there now that uh, your actual customers are using that's built in serverless?
1: Yeah, so one of our our biggest ones out there is the virtual agent. Um, which is in our call centers. They've deployed uh, a virtual agent that's answering some of the calls. So it's taking some initial stuff or answering really simple stuff. Um, And they were actually able to use some of the things from the digital assistant, some custom resources, some of the patterns we'd put in place uh, for the use of Amazon Lex, which is Amazon's natural language understanding service. Um, And that let them move really quickly they were picking up with uh, Amazon connect which is their call center as a service as well Mm -hmm. uh, which was a brand new tool and a lot of learnings Um, but it's massive I mean the the cost is so low um, because it's all managed services um, and they're able to you know bring it out trial it with users for a little bit, make sure the whole system works out and then just scale seamlessly up and they're just adding in more and more functionality all the time. Uh, And in fact, they presented that last year at reInvent. So that talk is out there too.
2: Awesome. I think uh, one of the one of the, the one of the early really uh, customer facing ones was around sort of the document generation and policy generation sort of capabilities. And within our sort of Liberty Mutual benefits space, you know a lot of the the underlying document management and document generation stuff is is very heavily built on serverless. And around the same sort of time as a digital assistant, so those two sort of teams really helped pioneer a lot of serverless capabilities within the company and help to uh, prove out, you know that this is something that is going to be a game changer for us as a company going forward.
0: Awesome. All right, so let me ask you this question because obviously you two are deep in the enterprise world, you you're you're on the forefront of of bringing serverless in there. So what what would be your advice to other enterprises looking to adopt serverless? I think um, getting 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 access is is number one, you know, you know
2: Creating creating that access to, to some sort of sandbox environment where your developers can explore and experiment risk-free without getting shared out by some, some manager for, what are you doing opening up an AWS account in your credit card? Um, so I think, I think you know, that was that was key to us. We had a sandbox environment that we could you know, explore new features um, and, and, and play around with it and actually even access the console. Um, Beyond that, having a clear pathway to production is, is critical. You know, and Our public cloud team have done a fantastic job really automating all of the you know, security compliance you know, or you know, legal type um, to, you know, issues that we may have and making sure that they are part of that you know, automated pathway to production. So literally a developer could create something today, have it in production this afternoon, um, that's how automated and how uh, fast we can now deliver you know, capabilities. So I think that clear pathway to production is, is is a big enabler for us as a as a company. I think you can't compromise on security. So there's a real enabler there around. Um, don't do anything risky. So make sure you know what your security. Um, profile is and make sure that you have a, an approach for for dealing with security in in the, in the cloud space and we've spent a lot of time working on threat modeling and making sure that we work with our security architects and security teams to to really make it easy for developers to show the risks that they may have and show how to mitigate those risks so I think uh, that that zero compromise on security is, is number one for us and ultimately for us you know um, if you're starting out do you know, testing is a big thing you know really focus on those good testing practices making sure that you have your know, testing unit testing integration testing but it's different in a, in a service environment but that allows you then to you know, go safely quickly but with safety uh, so have a real good um, testing approach and, and invest in that. Observability is probably the big one so uh, for us you know monitoring observability making sure you know, you know where stuff is and you're you're getting appropriately alerted and alarmed whenever things, things happen uh, is, is a big one for us. I don't know Jenny, do you have any?
1: So, so um, I tell people especially in big enterprises the same for both serverless and AI which is start now Um, You're you're already behind. If you haven't started, you need to start now. It takes a while to learn all the things that Mark's just said, a lot of things. Uh, It takes a while to move your mindset um, from how we architected things before to serverless. Um, Serverless is very different even than microservices. So even if you're very familiar with microservices, this is still a different paradigm. Um, So it just takes a little while to learn. It takes a little while to move all your existing um, practices and thinking about how you build your systems. So you need to start, you need to find places um, that are sort of safe to fail places where you can try things out um, and then gradually scale up. And I think the big thing is um, if you're if you run the company, do create time for people to learn, do let them have that space, and you know find your people who are really really passionate uh, about it, and then and then let them loose.
2: I think that was key for us. You know we had Gillian Armstrong, we had Gillian McCann, we had you know Laura McFarland, Chris Gormley, we had a, a number of real serverless pioneers in the space who really. To blaze the trail and 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 opened up a long number of doors for everybody else to come come behind. So you know, kudos to to those guys.
0: So I think that we can sum up your advice, Jillian, um, maybe by using that old planting a tree proverb. The best time to start with Serverless was five years ago, and the second <laughs> best time is now. Right.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I think I think one of the one of the big things that we've we've certainly noticed is you know getting certified. It has actually been very useful for us. Mm. Um, certifications for certification sake are, are a bit pointless, but um, we have found that it has helped really has helped accelerate the knowledge of our development teams that you know it gives them something to aim for but it also uh, maybe it's just the way that the the aws searchers are, are set up you know they've been very applicable to the the technologies and the approaches and the, the patterns that we are you know pushing our teams to to embrace so the the aws certification journey has definitely been a worthwhile one for for our company and i think we have reached the tipping point for, for, for that uh over um over ten percent certified now, so it's it's it really helped. Oh, wow. It's really helped accelerate. Um, you know, uh, so that whenever we talk to our teams, they they know what we're talking about, which is which is usually a good first step.
0: Definitely, awesome. All right, well, listen, thank you, Jillian and Marcus. Has been an awesome conversation. Um, how can we find out more about you? Let's start with Jillian.
1: Yep. So Twitter. I am virtual Jill on Twitter. And Twitter is definitely where I hang out most of the time. Um, I'm always happy to have conversations with people. Uh, my website is virtualjill.io if you want to um, look at some of my talks or read read some of my, my blog posts where I have rants about various things. Um, but definitely, uh, Twitter is the best place if you want to have a chat.
0: And that's virtual Jill with a G. With a G, yes. Jillian with a G. Okay. And then, Mark, what about you? Uh, Twitter
2: is probably i'm on there twittering all the things the serverless um so you can get me at at mark mccann on, on twitter
0: and then uh if people want to learn more about liberty it the website for that's just liberty-it.co.uk right that's correct yeah mm-hmm. awesome all right well listen i'm going to put all this into the show notes thank you guys so much awesome.
1: oh there is one one more thing jerry oh one, there's one, one more thing. More, one more thing right one more oh, thing okay. yeah there's going to be a serverless days in Belfast. It's going to be awesome. the end of November. So I'm helping to organize it. Uh, so everybody, you know, if people on the podcast want to come, they uh, should definitely um, follow me on Twitter for when we uh, tweet the formal announcement.
0: Awesome. All right, thanks again. Thank you. Okay. Bye. And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Gillian Armstrong and Mark McCann for being my guests this week. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 15. For more serverless chats, be sure you subscribe and rate the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast apps. You can also connect with me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore And if you're interested in serverless and want to discover all the great new articles, use cases, and latest innovations from the serverless community, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.